morning, everyone. For those of you that are visiting or don't know me or those tuning in online for the first time, my name is Paul Graham, and I'm the lead teaching pastor here at Lakeside. And uh, we're just really glad to see everybody. Every week, there's just a few more people here. It's awesome. And uh, I'm sure a few more people online, too. It's great to see things growing, people reconnecting, and summer is here. It's barbecue season. It's great. It's the highlight of Halliburton year. But uh, we've been going through a series on Colossians, and we finished that up, and then I did a, a message on Philemon. And, and uh, I had in my mind a message that I had worked on Thursday as usual, and then I worked again on it Friday. And that's not too uncommon. I'm usually tidying it up on Friday because I don't, I don't write all day Thursday. But Friday came and went, and it still wasn't looking very tidy. And I was still fighting with that message on Saturday. And I laid down on the porch in the nice weather. And at that moment, it finally came to me that maybe I was working on the wrong message the whole time. And so someday you may get that message. Who knows? God has resurrection power. And he may resurrect that message. Um, But as I was wrestling with that message, God said, and I assume it was God because I'm not that smart, um, it's Communion Sunday this Sunday, and you just finished a sermon on reconciliation and unity in the body of Christ and how intercessors give generously to preserve unity. Well, you know, in 1 Corinthians 11, I had the Apostle Paul write a thing about communion and about the spirit of unity and the spirit of generosity in the body of Christ. And I thought, that is a great idea. I should preach on that. And so that's the message you're getting this morning. We're going to look at 1 Corinthians 11, 17 to 32. And I know it's a popular text. It gets preached on and referred to quite a bit because it is an important text. And it needs to be remembered because the very theme of this text in 1 Corinthians 11 is remember. Remember the center. Remember the core. Remember what is central and important, the work of Jesus on the cross for you. Don't forget that. And it's an important text because it has some implications for how you function together as a body of Christ, the church. And as we remember, Paul highlights at least three important ways our remembering is to be done worthily or to be done rightly so that we consider the very body and work of Jesus on the cross and the new covenant that we enjoy. While we do that in communion, we're not at the very same time dishonoring the body of Christ and subverting the covenant that he has made for us with God. So that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to look at 1 Corinthians 11, 17 to 30. And then as we move into the summer, just to give you a heads up, we're starting a new series, and I'll I'll introduce that next week, or we'll start it next week, and um, that new series, we're going to be looking at uh, the doctrines of God and his church, and I'm connecting each doctrine that we look at with a hymn. So there'll be a new hymn every week, and that hymn will sing to and speak of the doctrine that we're learning about that week. And that'll be our summer series. I'm going to go through kind of the top 10 or top 12 doctrines of what we believe. But tie it to a hymn. Because I know as soon as I said I was going to do a series on doctrine in my mind, I just saw everybody sign and thinking, oh, doctrine. And I thought, but it can be fun. We can sing doctrine. That's what hymns are. So you get a new hymn every week and you get 
doctrine every week. It's going to be good, trust me. Um, Thank you, I'm glad you trust me. I heard you back there. I just need one, one encourager, and I will run with it. So let's look at 1 Corinthians 11, 17 to 26, and I'll just pray before we read God's word. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we get to gather together as your children and study it, and that you speak to us by the power of your Holy Spirit through your word, and that these are the very words of Christ to us. This is your word. And it's powerful, it changes and transforms us, and it teaches us, and it edifies and encourages us. So, Father, we pray for all of those things today. In Christ's name, amen. 1 Corinthians 11. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you. This is the Apostle Paul speaking to the church in Corinth, just to be clear. This is the Apostle Paul, he's written a letter to a church in Corinth, And he's helping them with some things they're struggling with. And some things he's commended them and other things he's not. And now he's going to talk about communion. And he says, I do not commend you. Because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you, in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. But when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat, for in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal, and one goes hungry, and another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I receive from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus Christ, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now, Paul adds a warning onto the end of these instructions, which I will touch on at the end of the message, and we'll get to the warning at the end. But the flow of Paul's thought here is not difficult. As the start of chapter 11, as I said, Paul had said to the Corinthians, I commend you in these things because you are still following the things that I taught you. But with regard to communion, I don't commend you. Paul has nothing good to say to the Corinthians on this topic for a couple of reasons, and the first is with regard to unity. Paul says here, right off the bat, he says, In the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. Paul is not pleased with the disunity of the church. And here's what's going on in Corinth, in this church in the city of Corinth. Uh, Communion was ordained by Jesus at literally a feast, like a meal, a big meal, Passover. And the early church, when Christians got together in the early church, communion was not just a little cup and a little wafer. Communion was a feast. They got together and literally ate a meal together, and that's how they began their fellowship time together, was eating this meal. And Paul is describing in this text how this was taking place in Corinth. Now, we're keeping in mind that we just learned in Colossians and also in Philemon that there was to be no differentiation, no favoritism, no discernment of rank between Jew and Greek, master and servant, professional or common labor, academic or tradesman, all, there is, there, all of these differences are evaporate in the church. We're all one before Christ. That's what we just learned. 
But everyone, every Christian in the church, even like we do today, we still have our jobs. We still have our place in society. So when Sunday came around, different people were showing up at different times. Probably the wealthy business owners or landowners or politicians who were a little more flexible with their schedule. They came to church early. They were rolling in at 5 o'clock with a nice picnic basket. And then others, probably the common laborers who leave work whenever their boss lets them go or when it gets too dark to do any more work, they show up at church late. And they probably came straight from work and they just have the leftovers from lunch with them. And they don't have what these other people who came early have. And this is the situation that's happening. And Paul says, For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal and one goes hungry while another gets drunk. So there's the two ends of the spectrum that Paul is trying to identify. He's using how they gather to eat as an illustration. The early arrivers don't wait. They just start eating and apparently drinking. And by the time the others arrive, the good food is all gone and the early group is drunk. And notice that Paul is not commending this action. Sometimes the Bible is descriptive, not prescriptive. The takeaway from the story here is not that we should wait so the church can all get drunk together. That's not what Paul is teaching here. Okay, just to be clear, in case some of you are like, this is good, I like this early church thing. (laughs) Pre-drinking before church. No, that is not what Paul is talking about here. Be clear. The key that Paul is focusing on is unity, especially as it pertains to communion as it pertains to remembering the person and work of Jesus. In verse 23, he's going to connect this directly to the instructions that we read of the the communion instructions and command that Jesus gave. He's saying unity is the key to that remembering. And unity is a key to a worthy kind of remembering at communion. And in these verses, Paul's just emphasizing a theme of unity and communion that he actually began a few paragraphs earlier in chapter 10. If we look at chapter 10, verse 16 and 17, he says there already, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation or a fellowship in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. This is what Paul's driving at. Unity in the body of Christ, one Christ, one bread, we all share it together, and we are one body. So that's why unity that we learned in Colossians and in other letters, and reconciliation and intercession that we learned in Philemon are so important to today, to coming now to this communion meal. There's literally one loaf that is the one body of Christ, and we are one body who partake of that bread. What Paul is trying to get across here is that all believers have unity and an equal share in that loaf, in that body. All believers have an equal share in the grace and the blessing of God. And it should not appear in the church as disunity or unequal share, as factions or as selfishness or as preferential treatment. That has no place when we come together as the church, especially at communion. Now, we don't take communion this way today. We all arrive at roughly the same time. We don't have some people bringing big baskets of food with bottles of wine and other people bringing over only their leftover lunch. But, but it still remains true in our churches that what we do bring into communion sometimes is our differences, our social prejudices. 
We can bring our biases and our personal grievances. We can bring our political and our partisan spirits into communion with us. And Paul is saying there is no place for that kind of disunity. We can bring divisive stuff into the communion meal with us, and Paul says that is not the manner in which communion can be taken. Paul paints here an absurd picture of hypocritical behavior in how these Corinths are eating together. And he does that so that we do not eat the Lord's Supper in a hypocritical spirit of our own, but in a humble spirit of unity. We all come to the Lord's table as we are. And some are better dressed, and some may think they bring a little more than others. They're wrong. Some may think they bring more physically, financially. Some may think they bring more spiritually. Some may have a better education or a better job. Some may have more scars from their life, or more wrinkles, or more tattoos, or more illness, or more addiction. Some vote blue, some vote red, some love dogs, and some love cats. Gotta love them all. Some carry more burdens or different, different burdens. Some may be wounded and maybe some are the wounder. But everyone is welcome. All receive an equal share at the mercy and grace of God if they come trusting in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. And they come preserving the unity of the body of Christ and not creating disunity and dissension. So unity is the first theme that's very clear here that, that Paul links together with communion. He says, Be unified. I cannot commend your disunity. But there's a second theme that Paul ties to this unity and humility, and that is generosity. In verse 22, Paul goes on and he says, Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? So he's not talking about disunity anymore, but he's talking about economics. And given the context of communion, Paul seems to be making a direct connection between the generosity of Jesus on the cross, the generosity of God in his free gift of salvation, the generosity of Christ and the shedding of his blood to to forge for us a new covenant, and then on our part, the necessary or the expected generosity of Christ's other body, his church, among his people. And his words around generosity are very strong. He says, what shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not commend you in your lack of generosity. How dare you who have so much come early with your big picnic baskets and you come to remember the sacrifice of Christ and his generosity and yet not share with those among you who have nothing. Now again, we do not practice communion in exactly this same fashion, but the connection to our present day communion meal is still clear. Do we come into this meeting? Do we come to this hour? In this time of communion, those of us who have, do we come here without a generous spirit or without generous actions, without generosity for those who have not? Are we participating in the support of the whole body of Christ apart from this meeting? Are we aiding those who are, that we know are in need? Are we responding to the generosity of God through Christ with our own generosity towards his kingdom and his mission and his people? Or are we coming to communion expecting and anticipating the generosity of God but having no generosity of our own? Now we've been having 
just to apply this really practically right now today and in weeks going ahead, we've been having some interesting, really practical conversations as a leadership team the last few weeks. Any of our regular members from back before the plague will remember that prior to COVID shutdowns, we normally had in every service a time where we could respond with offerings. You know, you're here to worship God, you're here to response in worship, and part of our worship is this generous giving of our offering back to God. And so, of course, with COVID and the restrictions put on meeting together and then social distancing and then sanitization, there's been no passing of the plate for offering or for that worshipful response of generosity for two years. And, and many of you, all, almost all of you for sure, have been incredibly faithful to transition to you know, automatic withdrawal or email transfers or, or just dropping your offering in the boxes at the back of the aisle. We have two new black boxes at either side of the AV booth back at the aisle there. So if you still like dropping off your offering, that's where you can drop it in. And they're bigger than the old boxes. Just, you know, just notice that. Um, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but they are bigger. Um, and, and so we've been talking about, as leaders, we've been talking about our Sunday worship and how we respond to God. And, and I know many of you have missed that. They've missed that, I want to respond by offering. That's a worshipful response. And where does our worshipful response of giving fit back into our gatherings together? Well, here's the thing. And this is not about reminding people to give every week, not at all. We actually really like the new system, so to speak. The arrangements that you can make with your bank and the office or just giving through email, whatever. That, that system is fine. But far more importantly, in this process of COVID, we've lost, as I mentioned, that responsiveness, that time of offering our worship and giving. So here's what we're proposing, very practically, uh, is to try it out for a while. Because God has made the point here of connecting the generosity of Christ being remembered in communion to the generosity of his body, we're going to make it a point of responding with an offering on communion Sundays. So once a month, we're going to return to an offering after communion. And there's sort of two pieces to it. The main purpose of this offering at communion, as we pass the baskets around, will be just for a free will, benevolent offering that we will use to serve the community and serve families that are in need. And if you drop some cash or a check in there without any other indication, it will go to our benevolent ministry. But if you want to use Communion Sunday as your opportunity, because you miss giving back your offering as an act of worship. You can do that too. You can use the envelopes that you have. You can write your name on an envelope or a number, and you can use that Sunday as your offering Sunday. And if you mark it, it'll go into the general offering. So that's what we're going to try. And it'll be, you'll have to get used to it for a little bit. But after communion today, we're going to take up an offering. And again, the unmarked offerings will go to benevolent, and the marked offerings will go to our general fund. But once a month, we want to return to this response. And it's not that we're asking for a whole bunch of money. I've been here nine years, and I can probably count on one hand the number of times I've talked about the offering. I've probably talked about it too little, if anything. So this is not a plea for more giving. This is an opportunity for us to respond in worship. And all of this is just for our regular attenders. If you're a guest or you're just checking out our church, I, I don't want to think you're, we're regularly asking people to give, only to respond. But that's the connection 
Paul has made here. There's a direct connection between unity and communion. There's a direct connection between generosity and communion. But last point, Paul says, first unity, then generosity, and then authenticity. And I didn't read the warning at the end of these instructions that Paul puts in here, so I'm going to read it now. He goes on in verse 27. He says, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Now, at first glance, these verses are pretty scary. And at second glance, they are still pretty scary. (laughs) It's not very often that Paul literally reinforces his instructions with threats to our life. But he does here, and so we should listen. What is Paul saying here? That people have fallen ill, that some have even died because they have approached communion improperly. Well, Paul is essentially saying, don't take communion in an unworthy manner, or you're going to be guilty against the body and blood of the Lord. And I just want to point out that the phrase here, unworthy manner, refers to how we take communion. It's not the condition you take it in. Unworthy in this sentence is an adverb that describes how the action is being done. It is not an adjective describing the person doing the action. We are all unworthy to take communion. That's why communion exists. If we were worthy as people to take communion, then we wouldn't need it. And so Paul's words here in the context of the passage are speaking to how the Corinthian church has been going about doing communion, both as a church and as individuals. And if you read the rest of the letter to Corinth and all the issues that Paul is dealing with in this church, we already know they are unworthy to take communion, as we all are. So then what is the how? How? What is the unworthy manner? Well, I think Paul is being as clever as he usually is in threading together two or three ideas into one set of phrases. The first time he runs through his warning, he says it this way. He says that we can be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord which is clearly a reference to the literal, physical body of Jesus. In other words, we can dishonor the work that Jesus did on the cross. And Paul says, don't do that. The body and blood of our Lord Jesus that hung on the cross, that was shed for us, do not dishonor what we are here to remember. And you can do that if you're not careful. But then Paul connects another thought. He says... For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body. Now, is this the same body as the body and the blood? Because Paul doesn't say the body and the blood. Or is this now the body of Christ as the church? Which we know Paul also talks about in the letter to Corinth quite a bit. And in fact, in terms of the worthy manner of how the Corinthian church does communion... That is actually the whole context of this paragraph. He's been talking the whole time about how you as a church go about communion. And so he says, if you take communion without discerning the body, he's just been telling them, look up from your picnic basket at the people around you and discern the body. And do not be 
ununified or ungenerous or ungrateful to them. So I think Paul is trying to tie them both together. There's the body of Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, his body and blood on the cross, the the focus of communion. Then there is the body that we are to discern around us, the body of Christ, the church, that we can also dishonor by bringing our factions and resentments or our lack of generosity and communion. But then lastly, he says, but if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. And so then Paul brings it right down to ourselves as individuals in communion. Personally, I'm part of the body. There's the body of Christ physically on the cross. There's the body of Christ, the church we must discern. And there's me as a taker of communion. I'm part of the body of Christ. And so he goes from the cross to the church and lands finally on ourselves. And I think Paul is really talking about all three of these things. We need to examine ourselves in terms of the manner in which we are taking communion with respect to Jesus and to respect the church and with respect to ourselves and our own condition. And that's why I call Paul's theme here of authenticity, but you could call it humility, you could call it transparency, you could call it sincerity, just make sure it rhymes because preachers have to have rhyming points. Um, But all of these things, authenticity, humility, Sincerity. It's the manner in which we come to communion that Paul is emphasizing. So again, for us today, as we take communion, the way we take communion, as we come to this table, is to guard ourselves from taking it in an unworthy manner. And Paul kind of draws a lasso, or he he connects these dots together with a thread, and and he ties them all together, and he says, judge yourself and check your heart. Are you remembering the real, effective, finished work of Jesus on the cross to buy our freedom from sin, to seal the new covenant in his blood? Are you remembering that when you come, or are you just here to eat and drink and fellowship and have fun with your friends? And secondly, are you living out in the church the new life that Jesus has made for all people? Are you honoring the fact that there is no Jew or Greek, there is no you know, conservative or liberal, there is no master or servant, there is no boss or, or employee, there is no rich and poor, there is no differentiation. Are you living that out? Have, do you realize that the barriers have been taken down and are you living that way and honoring the church and the body of Christ in that way? And thirdly, are you responding to the generosity of God with your own generosity? And are you humble and transparent and authentic as you come to this table? Not worthy yourself, that's part of the authenticity. Not worthy to be here, not righteous, not able to be in communion with God except by the body and blood of Jesus Christ who is our righteousness. It's because we're partaking in his body and blood that we are then worthy to commune in fellowship with the Father. Paul puts all of that in the way he always does so amazingly together in like three sentences somehow. And he says, be all three of these things and honor all three parts of the body of Christ and how we understand it. That's how you come to this table with Christ in view, with the whole church in view, with your own heart in view, authentically and transparently and humbly in unity and generosity. So when we take communion together today, as we're going to right now, 
communion is for the body of Christ. It's for those who have the Holy Spirit, those who trust in him, those who look to the empty cross and remember the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior there. It is for those who are striving and seeking, maybe not today in perfect unity with everyone, but who are leaving all of their partisan ideas and differences outside of these doors and remembering that here we all are equal partakers in the grace and the mercy of God. And who are authentically, sincerely looking at their own hearts and saying, I'm not worthy, but you've desired this meal And so I come partaking of your body and your blood. And that's the only way. That's the only way between here and God is through Jesus Christ. And you come that way to communion, God says, or Paul says, yeah, I can commend that. I can't commend this nonsense that's going on in the church of Corinth right now, but I can commend a church that does that. So let's do that today. Let's come authentically, humbly, worshipfully, responding to the grace and the generosity of God with our own grace for others and generosity of our own and our full dependence on the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross for our righteousness. And I'll just recount again what Paul says to the church because this is what we're going to do. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said to his disciples, and remember, this is right before he's going to the cross. He says to these disciples gathered there, he says, This bread, this is my body, which I'm going to give for you. So keep doing this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, and he said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. A new covenant, a new deal. No more law, no more following all these rules, no more trying to work up our own righteousness. All that does is show us how sinful we are. He says, I got a new covenant. I'm going to shed my blood for this covenant. And do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me, so you never forget. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And that's what we're going to do now. And so I'm going, to, um, I'm going to pray just before we do that, and our helpers are going to come forward. And as they serve, they're going to serve the bread and the cup and just hang on to them. We're not going to rush on greedily and gobble them down like these Corinthians did. <laughs> We're going to hold them, and then we'll take our communion all together. I'll pray once more at the end for the cup and the and the bread, and we'll take our communion together, and then we'll have a song, and as we're responding in song, I'm going to have you remain seated so that we can pass the offering, so that we can respond with generosity to those who are in need in our midst. So that's how we're going to do it today. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that Jesus Christ is the word. We thank you that he's the Lamb of God. We thank you that he went to the cross. We thank you that we have this teaching that teaches us how we commune with you, how we commune with each other, how we partake in the righteousness of Jesus Christ through his action, not ours. And so, Father, as we come into communion time together here, as we share this meal together, we just remember how Jesus said to his disciples that he earnestly desired this meal. And Father, it boggles our mind, but right now Christ is ascended and sitting on the right hand of God, on your right hand, and he earnestly desires that we have this meal.
You earnestly desire to commune with us. So, Father, by your Holy Spirit and by this ordinance that you've given us, let us come and commune with you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.